0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. How we doing? We good? Everybody's good today? Yeah. Hey, listen, if you're not excited, I'm excited. My team won yesterday, and uh, that doesn't happen a lot. And so I was pretty pumped about it. We're on our way to bowl eligibility, which has been a tough decade or so. So just hang in there with me. I, I'm sorry to uh, all of those whose teams did not win yesterday. Uh, if you're an Alabama fan though, that's all I got to say to you. And I know there's some of you in the room, I know, I know, I know, but listen, doesn't it just get tired? I mean, don't you just get tired of just winning all the time like, God's just trying to keep you humble. The rest of us, we've been hanging in there, you know, so, um, you know, we'll pray for you. But uh, hey, I'm glad you're here today. It's a gorgeous day outside, so I'm thankful that you got up this morning and chose to be here. I was looking at the weather earlier this week. I do that as a pastor, not as just a human being that's looking to see what I should wear the next day. I'm actually anticipating uh, whether or not you're going to show up to church on Sunday. And so I don't know what the perfect temperature for church attendance is. Because when I look at it sometimes, I'm like, oh, it's going to be too cold. People are just going to be like, no, I want to stay in bed. And then other times, it's going to be too hot, and you're going to be like, let's go to the lake. And then other times, it's going to be like snowing, so you would be like, well, we got to go snow sled somewhere. And other times, it's going to be raining. It's like, well, we can't get So I'm not sure what the perfect temperature today is, or the perfect temperature to come to church, but maybe today is it. It said it was going to be 31 at the start of our first service and 64 at the end of our third service. And so I'm not sure how that works, but we're glad that you're here today with some of the most amazing people on the planet. I I was thinking this week as I was praying for you uh, just how amazing you are. I've got a lot of pastor friends uh, around the country, and they have great churches, and, and they have great things happening, but as I talk to them about what God's doing at their church, I'm just reminded how incredible you are, and that this church is a testament to you and to your family and to just your faithfulness to God, and so I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for you. I want you to know that, Corey, and I love you very, very much uh, and I'm excited about what's coming over the next eight or nine weeks. And so we want to make sure you're a part of that. You know, we're starting a new series today that will take us to Thanksgiving. Next, next Sunday night, the night of worship, be here at 630. We've got child care for that. It's going to be a special time of worship. And then the kids play Candy Cane Lane is going to be awesome. The first full weekend of December. It's on a Saturday at 1 o'clock and then uh, 2 on Sunday morning, that the December the 8th. You'll hear more about that as we get closer. And then our Christmas services are Friday night, December 20th. And Sunday morning, December 22nd. So we want to make sure you're a part of that. You'll hear more about that as we're getting close. But it's going to be a great run of about eight or nine, ten weeks as we get to the end of the year here. And so we want you to be a part of all of that. Today I am excited because we start a brand new series of three sermons together where we're going to talk about this idea of forgiveness. And as I was thinking about November earlier this year, I was actually going to go another direction. I talked about this a little bit last week. But I really feel like the Lord kind of led me this direction as I was studying and preparing Uh, to spend some time on this topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that we talk about on a pretty regular basis here at our church. We sing about it. We pray about it. We talk about it. Um, Every single Sunday when we gather and, and I preach or someone else takes the stage, we offer the opportunity for people to pray a prayer of salvation. And what that is is that we're asking God to forgive our sins so that we can be forgiven and to be the Lord of our lives, which we believe those go hand in hand. You're not just praying for God to forgive your sins and then allow you to live how you want to live, but that God would forgive your sins and really help to take control of the trajectory of your life so that you would live in ways that honor and please him in the way that you conduct yourself every single day. And so we give you that opportunity every week. But I was thinking about this idea of forgiveness in the context of marriage. My wife, Corey and I uh, have a great marriage. It's not a perfect marriage. Man, it's a great marriage. Uh, And I was thinking about how, I know this is going to shock you. I know some of you are going to be like, what? Um, but I make mistakes, mistakes in marriage sometimes and I annoy my wife every now and then, just every, every now. When it happens, I know I got to get my oil change because it doesn't happen a lot. Um, that was funnier than you gave it credit for, but that's fine. Uh, and so when that happens in those rare instances, when I do something to upset my wife, which is very, very rare, right? I got an amen over here for my wife. A very, 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 very rare. When that happens. Um, You know, I have a tendency to want to just rush through whatever the resolution moment of that upsetness, argument, inflamed conversation moment is. Whatever you want to call it. And so, so I will have the tendency, not every time, but sometimes to say very, very quickly, I'm sorry. But now that we've been married for a little while... She has picked up on that tendency, and so she will say to me from time to time, because it doesn't happen often that I do anything to annoy her, and then when I do, I mean, you know, it's resolved quickly, but when I say that every now and then, she will say to me, for what? What are you sorry for? Um, Now I have a dilemma, because I have to choose, and this may upset some of you, I have to choose just how honest I want to be. Because there is a level of honesty where I would have to admit to her that I'm not fully sure what I'm sorry for. Because there are times that I know what I've done. I know fully what I did to bring chaos or conflict to this, this moment in time in our marriage as the stars collided. And so I know like that's happening. But sometimes, very rarely, does my mind mail from Mars and her woman mind from being, I can't compute why we're upset and what exactly all of these things. And so I'll just say, I'm sorry. And what I'm trying to articulate to her is this, can you just forgive me so we can move on? Like I'm kind of, I'm sorry, but I'm not really sorry for what I did. I'm just sorry we're here. I'm just sorry that we're in this moment. And I don't know all that got us here. I mean, I kind of see some of the things that, But, like, Like, can we just move on? And that's ultimately what most of us do in our lives. We want to come to a place of forgiveness because we think that that brings finality to whatever got us to this need for forgiveness. It's like we needed forgiveness because we did something wrong, whatever that is, in a a marriage relationship, friendship, on the job, with God, whatever. It's like we got to this point where it's like, okay, but now I need forgiveness. And so can we... We just get me to a state of forgiveness so that we can move on from here. I think what happens for some of us is we take that interpersonal dynamic of how that plays out in marriage and friendships and relationships and all. And we put that into the context that we have with God. And so today what I want us to spend time on is just this seeking forgiveness from God. But I think for us to understand forgiveness from God, we have to understand what it is we need forgiveness for. And so I want to spend a few minutes here just setting this up by talking about sin and what sin actually is. Sin ultimately is separation from God. Look at this. This is in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2. And we're going to read a bunch of scriptures today, so you may want to get out a pen and paper or your phone or something. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, it says this. Look. The Lord does not lack the power to save, nor are his ears too dull to hear. But your misdeeds have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you aren't hurt. Your misdeeds have separated you from God. There is a separation that takes place. And the reason is that God is holy and righteous and just. And so in his justice, he must punish unrighteousness and those things that are not holy. He's just. He has to do that. If he did not punish sin, if he did not judge those things that were not righteous and not holy, he would not be just because he could not reward righteousness and holiness if he did not judge unrighteousness and unholiness. And so he must. He, he must do that. And so it's our misdeeds that then separate us. They cause the separation From God. Look at this in Isaiah 53, 6. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We have turned. We have separated ourselves from God out of our own sinful nature, our misdeeds, our iniquities, our transgressions, depending on the translation or the verse and the context you're reading. It is that we have separated ourselves from God, and it is a separation. And so what we talk about here at our church on a pretty regular basis is that we are not called to perfection. Because when I was growing up, it seemed like the call to all of us, as we were becoming followers of Jesus Christ, is that we were called to be perfect. Now, maybe that wasn't the context that you grew up in, and I grew up in an incredible context, and maybe some of it was my own personality, or maybe just the context of the church or the churches that I was a part of at different times, but it seemed like that it was a call to perfection, either by specifically calling it that, or when you made a mistake, bam, They came down on you pretty hard because you weren't perfect anymore. And so the appearance of and the seeking of being perfect caused you to strive to be perfect. And what I'm here to tell you today, and maybe you know this already, hopefully you do, there's enough water under the bridge for you to recognize this, you aren't perfect. You aren't. You make mistakes. You have made mistakes. You will make mistakes. And so the question is, if it's not about perfection, then what is it about? It is about pursuit. It's about pursuit. And so so what we say is, which way is your arrow pointed? And so here's how we describe that. If on this side of the stage represents godliness and holiness and righteousness and all things that are good and no things that are evil and just the perfection of God and his character and his nature, that's on this side of the stage. And over on this side of the stage is evil and nastiness and sin and the devil and the little red thing with the horns and the stick and Alabama fans and all. I mean, it's all... I'm picking on them. My team won yesterday. It wasn't pretty, but we won. And so, like, that's on this side of the stage, right? The question is, as I live my life, which way is my arrow pointed? Toward God and godliness and righteousness and holiness or towards evil and those things that are not of God and they are not holy and they are not pure? Which way is my arrow pointed? And so So as as I'm contemplating contemplating that question, I don't want to give give you a half-truth today. I want to be 100% honest with you. I try to do that every time I'm on the stage. I want to be 100% honest. If my actions and my misdeeds and my transgressions and my iniquities have caused a separation from God out of the sin nature that I was born with and now the decisions and actions that I take as a human being, there is a separation, even if, even when. I've prayed a prayer and pointed my arrow towards God. And I've said, God, I'm in pursuit of you. I want holiness and righteousness and all of you. That separation on my own can never fully, wholly, completely be taken apart, overtaken by my actions. There is going to be a gap. We talked about this last Easter. And that gap that exists there between me and God has to be accounted for. And God accounted for that gap. And he accounted for that gap in the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And he sent Jesus to the earth to live a blameless, pure, holy life on the earth. To stand in the gap so that as we are in pursuit of him, we could eventually make our way To God. We cannot do that on our own. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this New Living Translation, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still. Sinners, way over here, completely in alignment with the things that are opposite of the character and nature of God. God demonstrated his love to us that he sent his son Jesus to come and to span the gap, to bridge the gap, to come and to cross that. Again, we spent a ton of time talking about this last Easter. You can go back to our podcast and pick that up. And so for us, what we believe is that we now have a choice to receive... The work of God through Jesus on the cross as he is in pursuit of us and pursue him. Now, here's the other thing that I want you to know because I don't want this to get lost because it could sound like right now that I'm telling you that it's all about your pursuit of God. But here's what you need to know. When I am in pursuit of God, God is in pursuit of me. Everybody got that? Nod your head if you got that. Here's the other part of that truth. When I am not in pursuit of God, God is still in pursuit of me. That is the truth. This work of salvation is God's. God pursued you first. He pursued you in advance of any goodness you could conjure up. He pursued you in advance before you attended the first service of your church existence, before you gave a dollar, served a moment, joined a group, did any good deed, gave to the poor, served the need. Before you could conjure up any goodness of your own in advance, God loved you enough to span the gap so that in the moment that his pursuit of you, you responded and pursued him, he was already right there. He did not wait on you to initiate. He initiated first. And here's the reason why. The Bible tells us that God is no respecter of persons. He didn't just do that for good people. He didn't just do that for people that would be saved. He didn't. Here's what 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 tells us. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Everybody say the word all. It's good. good. All people. You know who all people includes? All of you. And all of the people in our other two services today. And all of the people that call this place home but aren't here today. And all of the people in this community who go to other great churches. And all of the people in this community who don't go to any church And all of the people in this region and in this state and in this country and in this world, God desires for all people to be saved. Those who have lived and those who will live. His desire is that all would be saved. You know who all people includes? It includes the person that you hate the most in this world. It includes the person who hurt you the most in this world. God's desire is for that person to be saved too. All people includes the person that you are convinced is the most unsavable, unforgivable person in the universe. God desires for that person to be saved too. God desires for all people to be saved. And so that motivation that all people would be saved caused him to initiate a response before we even had our response. And so he comes to span the gap and pursues us when we will be in pursuit of him and when we will not be in pursuit of him. He pursues us. So then he pursues us, but how does he save us? Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness. And perhaps you're familiar with this idea, but in the Old Testament, blood was absolutely required in the law to forgive your sins, your iniquity, your transgressions. And so, this is not something that we do now, thank goodness that you don't bring your animals here to sacrifice them in the lobby. And so, what would happen in the Old Testament is that when you came to worship, You would bring as an act of worship your sacrifice that was required as the payment, the atonement, to cover, to carry the price necessary for whatever your transgression was. And in the law, it spelled out what was required. If you did this little thing... There might be a small sacrifice. If you did this great big thing, there would be this kind of sacrifice. It's similar to our criminal justice system. No matter how fair you think it is, there is a level of degree to punishment, right? Not all crimes are punished at the same level. And so in the law, if you did this certain thing, you brought this type of sacrifice. If you did this certain thing, you brought this type of sacrifice. And so the same thing happened. But here's the thing that had to happen. When you brought that sacrifice, you could not offer that sacrifice yourself. You brought, you brought that sacrifice that to, somebody to somebody like me. Like I would take, take all of those, those sacrifices. sacrifices. I would, I would offer those sacrifices on all of your behalf. The and then I would take, take that blood into the presence of God. And I would take, take that shed blood, blood to say, say this, is this is to cover the transgressions of all of us here that are a part of the people of God in this community. But what we understand Is that that kind of sacrifice in the Old Testament was just a temporary atonement. It was was not not an an eternal eternal atonement. atonement. Because if it was eternal, then Jesus Christ would not have had to come in the New Testament and the stories that we read in the gospel and him living a blameless life and then being arrested and then being crucified and his blood being shed out of his body would not have been necessary if we could still today just bring our goats and lambs and sheep and doves to the the church and have them be sacrificed for the transgressions that we've done. It was a temporary atonement. and God knew that. And so that's why... While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love to us in that he sent Jesus to die. This is how Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12 describes it. it. says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, look at this, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. 1
1: Peter, Peter chapter 3, verse 18
0: says this, this, for Christ died Christ for sins once for all, the, the, righteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus came to bring you to God. That's what he did. You couldn't do that on your own. I couldn't do that for you. I couldn't do that on my own. God desires for all to be saved. And so he provided the way of salvation. So, what is our responsibility? How do we turn our arrow towards God? whether we feel like we're way over here evil and nasty and vile and dirty, and, or maybe we just feel like we're kind of somewhere in the middle. We're like a good moral person, like we do good things, but we know we're not in a relationship with God. How do we make this move? When I was a child, they described it as the ABCs. Ask, believe, and confess. We ask God, we acknowledge our need here. We ask God, we believe that all that's necessary was done through the work of Jesus Christ. We confess that we're a sinner in need of a savior. So like there is this moment of decision where in however you want to play it out, you say, hey, on my own, through my own ability, I don't have all that I believe God is calling me to have. I don't, I don't live and exist in the way that God has made me and wired me and filled me. to. And so I've got to acknowledge Turn and make a change And so it's a little bit more than just saying I'm sorry right I Already told you I do that sometimes and What I'm saying when I say I'm sorry if the motivation is right is I am guilty I'm sorry Now if I change the words just a little bit I take away my own guilt right if I hurt you and I say, I'm sorry you feel that way, that's no longer about me. That's about you. So if I say, I'm sorry you feel that way, I've not actually apologized. For me, I've kind of apologized for you, like you did something wrong. But if I say, I'm sorry for what I did that made you feel this way, I'm, so, I'm guilty, I'm sorry, that's an acknowledgement of guilt. And, and then if I take it one, one step, step further and, and I, I say, please forgive, please forgive me. me. I'm sorry, I'm God, for what I've done. I'm sorry that I am a sinner. sinner. Please, please forgive, forgive me, me of my sins. sins. I'm I now acknowledging my, my need for grace and, grace and mercy. mercy. I cannot I'm forgive myself, myself for eternity. Myself. I cannot put me in right standing with God. So, so God, God forgive, forgive my sins. Would you would you, would you save me? Would you forgive me? I'm sorry, I'm guilty. Please give me grace. Please give me mercy. Extend to me what I do not deserve and withhold from me that which I actually do deserve. Please forgive me. And help me never go back. That's repentance. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm making a change. I'm turning. To you that acknowledges that I want change, that I want to be different. And here's the amazing reality of God this is the amazing truth about God. Aren't you thankful that God does not think like we think and respond like we respond? Because here's what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And purify us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Now, I believe that this is two different kinds of things that are at play here. I believe that when my arrow is not pointed towards God... That when I confess my sins, I acknowledge my need for him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. When I make that decision and I turn to him, in an instant, he forgives my sins. I believe it. I believe he justifies me. That's what scripture would call it. He justifies me so that in his justice, I can now stand before him. I can take on the righteousness of Christ and stand before him. Because Because he justifies justifies me. He pays the necessary necessary price for me. My My arrow arrow is pointed that way. way, But I am am not not called, according to scripture, to turn turn my arrow towards God and and stay stay there. there. Right? Right? That's That's not not the the point. point. If If the point point was was just save me, me, forgive me, me, I've I've said this for a while, I think in the moment after you prayed that prayer, God would be like, let's go to heaven right now. There's nothing else for you to do. There's nothing nothing else for you to work work toward, But But I think think what what happens is we say, say, God, forgive me. Our arrow is pointed towards God. And and now that second second part of the work is that he purifies purifies us us of all unrighteousness. Now, how many of you would admit, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, though every hand should be lifted unless you are struggling right now with lying. How many of you would admit that as a Christian, you still have some struggles, right? There's a few of us. Some of us are honest. Others of us, you're not sure if now you're a liar or I gave you permission not to raise your hand. That's okay. As Christians, we still have some struggles. We still don't have it all worked out. And so even if you've prayed a prayer that says, God, forgive me. I confess my sins. I confess my need for you to be the Lord of my life. God loves you right where you're at. But he loves you too much to let you stay there. And so there's this constant process of purifying and cleansing my heart and molding and shaping me into the man of God, the woman of God that he desires you to be. If there's more of me in my heart that does not reflect his character and nature, I say, God, purify my heart. Cleanse my heart. Mold and shape my heart. Help me to move in pursuit of you. Help me to reflect more and more your character and your nature as I pursue after you. This is not the saving work. You did the saving work. This is the cleansing work. The church word for this might be sanctification. That he's cleansing me and purifying me as I pursue more and more and more, and more, and more of him. So if I've got some additional Addictive behaviors. There are moments where God supernaturally at a moment of salvation removes those addictive behaviors from your heart and from your life. I've watched it happen. I've heard the stories. But some of us, there is a moment where God saves us and then there is a process where God works some stuff out in us. That doesn't give you permission. I remember when I was in youth ministry, every single time I talked to my small group of middle school boys, I would ask, how you doing? And this is the word they always use. I'm struggling, I'm struggling. I thought, well, you're in seventh grade. I don't know how much you're struggling. But I mean, yeah, they were, okay, I'm struggling. And here's what I told them. A struggle indicates that there is a process of reaching for what is right. Of trying to become more like Christ, giving in over and over and over and not trying to put myself in position where I'm seeking freedom and maybe ridding myself of some relationships and getting out of some places and refusing to be a part of some things that I know are going to pull me back this direction. That is not a struggle. A struggle says, I'm cutting this off, I'm moving those things away, and I am in pursuit of God that he would purify and cleanse my heart. And yes, there may be a slip up, but that's the anomaly, that's the outlier, as God is more and more and more being reflected in my heart and my character and my nature because I say, God, you did the saving work already, but God, help me to move more in pursuit of you. You forgave me. Now help me to live in the freedom that you've destined for me. And then something supernatural happens. As if it wasn't supernatural enough that God would forgive your sins and change the trajectory of your eternity forever. Something supernatural happens. Look at this in Isaiah 43 verse 25. I, even I, God talking about himself, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And remembers your sins no more. I, God, am the one who blots out, who takes the blood of Jesus Christ and does away with your transgressions and your sins and your indiscretions. I'm the one who does that. Not so you feel better about yourself. For my sake. Because I'm just. And I'm holy and I'm righteous. And if I didn't get rid of those things, you would not be able to stand before me because I would have to judge your sin. But once you acknowledge your need for me, I blot those transgressions out. I get rid of them through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. And then I'm going to do something even more special. I'm going to remember your sins no more. God, there, he has some of these really cool words. My grandfather calls them $2 words. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. Right? There's these words that describe the power of God and the characters of God. And so when we talk about his omniscience, we're talking about the fact that God knows all things, Countless places in scriptures talk about what God knows and how God knows those things. He stands outside of time knowing the end from the beginning. And we recognize the way that God orchestrates the story of man. And we also recognize the free will that he gives to man to orchestrate various parts of his lives. And how God redeems those things to work together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. And so we see that God knows all things. And yet God in his omniscience and in his sovereignty has chosen Not to know your sins that have previously been forgiven. Think about that. He says, I remember your sins no more. He could, but he chooses not to. He chooses to make his focus not on what you did, but on what Jesus did for you. And so when he thinks about you, he thinks about who you are, and he thinks about what you've done, you know what he sees that you've done? Confessed your sins. Acknowledged your need for him. And he says, ah, there's my son. I see the work of my son at work in you. I forgave you. I blotted out your transgressions so that now you can stand with me and be reconciled to me through the work of my son. You can be a joint heir, Jesus, the New Testament tells us. You're like, yeah, but God, just one more time, I need to remind you, I'm so sorry again for what I did. You know what he doesn't hear? Anything after the word sorry. He's like, what are you sorry for? You're my son. You're my daughter. What are you sorry for? I blotted out your transgressions. And every time you try to reach back and grab your indiscretions and grab your iniquities and grab your misdeeds and and you come back to God and say, God, I know you've already forgiven me of these things, but just... I just need to remind you one more time how messy my life is and how messed up I am and all the things that I've done wrong. Like, I just, I got to go back here and I got to get all this stuff and I just got to bring them back to you. He's like, what are those? I I blotted out your transgressions. I, I can't even see those things. I don't even know those things. All I see is the righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ, at work in you. Because what God wants you to know today is that the cost of your forgiveness was Jesus. And every time you try to pick it back up and remind him again, you devalue the cost of his son's sacrifice for you and for me. You say, God, I, I, listen, thank you for what you did back there, but it wasn't enough for me. I mean, like, yeah, okay, the cross and the thing. We celebrate Good Friday and Easter and Christmas and the baby and, like, somehow all that fits together. Thank you for all that. But you don't know how messed up I am. You don't know all my junk. He's like, no, no, no. Here's what I know. Jesus, the cross, the blood, enough. That's it. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to focus on. That's all you need to think about. I blotted out your transgressions for my sake. And I remember them no more. I ran across this incredible resource this week as I was preparing. It says, in a time when no one knew the earth was a sphere, when no one knew about the poles to the north and to the south, God established an east and west continuum. The altar of sacrifice was placed at the eastern end of the temple in Jerusalem. And the Holy of Holies on the far west side. And on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The high priest would take the blood from the altar of the sacrifice. And he would walk the distance of the temple to the Holy of Holies. And sprinkle it there. No one understood that the earth spun on its, on its axis. No, no one, one knew about God the earth's poles, poles, the point being, God knew the distance between the poles could be measured, but you cannot measure the distance between the east and the west. The Hebrew word for east is kadam, meaning everlasting, which brings to light the truth of Psalm 103 10 through 12. is complete the moment that you acknowledge your need for it. And there's a purifying, cleansing work that's necessary for you to say, God, that doesn't reflect you. Help me to purge myself, cleanse myself, do a work in me, continue to help me pursue you with more of my heart and more of my life. But the forgiving work of God is whole and complete quit reminding him of all the stuff he's already forgiven it's as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more i'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I recognize that what I need God to do in this moment is to forgive my sins and be the Lord of my life. I am not in a relationship with him. I need to turn my arrow towards God. My arrow is pointed away from him. And I need to point that arrow towards God and be in pursuit of him. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I just need that purifying work. I just need that cleansing work. I need him to mold me and shape me into more and more of who he's calling me to be. I need him to make me look more like him and sound more like him in the way that I talk and conduct my lives. And I'm just asking God to purify and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. God, we thank you today. That you hear us when we pray, you respond to us, you save us, you cleanse us. God, I ask you now to respond to those who have acknowledged their need for you to be Lord and Savior of their life, forgive their sins, change their eternity forever. God, we celebrate with heaven for those who have made that decision today. And God, now I pray for every person that's asking you to purify and cleanse and help them to be molded and shaped into more of your character and your nature. God, would you do that in us today? God, we thank you for all that you are and all that you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash